0: If you wanna make it in this industry or become a big producer, it's not rocket science. I swear to you, I never thought in a million years the things that I've done would have been possible. I'm just your average guy, so you don't need to be special. You don't need to be born with some magical gift. Like If you work hard, if you're positive, if you're persistent, anything's possible.
1: Hello and welcome to the EDM Podcast, a show where I, Sam Atler, talk to successful producers and industry experts. It is currently bucketing down outside, so if you can hear that rain, uh, my apologies. It's very heavy. Um, It's happened once a week, maybe twice a week, for the past few weeks, so I'm kind of getting used to it, but uh, that's New Zealand for you. Great country, beautiful country, terrible weather. So if you're ever going to make a visit, uh, then make sure you just for the occasion, which means four seasons in one day. Anyway, today's guest is not from New Zealand, he's from New York. Uh, his name is Zane, but he's better known as Rios, and he's so well-spoken and articulate that if I didn't know how old he was, I would assume he was at least 25, but uh, Zane is a young 18 years old, and you wouldn't know it. His rise to success has been rapid, and he's only just getting started. We talk about why that happened so quickly, what motivates him, and we also talk about the importance of music theory, why you should imitate and draw from your favourite artists, and the biggest struggle he's faced in his journey as an artist. It's a great interview, there's a ton of gems, Uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Make sure to check out his music, it's very unique and he's absolutely crushing it. Um, I'm a huge fan and I hadn't come across him really before this interview. Uh, So if you do enjoy the episode, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. You can do that by visiting edmprod.com slash iTunes. That is edmprod.com slash iTunes. Without further ado, please welcome Rios. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course, many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today I'm joined by Zane, uh, better known as Ryo. Zane, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm stoked to have you on the show. I actually came across your music a while back. Um but only in the past week doing my research have I like really listened to it and, and I'm blown away. And you're quite young, aren't you? You're like 18? So?
0: Yep, just turned 18 uh in yeah. August.
1: That's insane. Uh tell me about how you got into music production in the first place and that journey so far to to where you are now.
0: Uh yeah, so I was about 12 years old give or take like it was around when i was turning 13 and mm-hmm. it was at the time when skrillex came out with scary monsters and nice sprites and avici's levels was really popular and yeah it was around that time period and i started to really like the music and i, I at first i like rock music a lot so i played the drums i played the guitar a little bit nothing crazy but i just liked mm-hmm. making the music that i like listening to So when EDM came out and, you know, there was this dubstep and then, you know, Progressive House or whatever, I was like, oh, my God, how did they make this? So doing some research, I downloaded FL Studio and then I just started messing around at around, uh, you know, I was 12, 13 years old. So the productions weren't good, but Mm -hmm. I started messing around and it was around... Around 15 years old is when I made like my first track and I got it signed onto like a small label. And then from there on out, I was like, "All right, I definitely want to do this." Like making music, getting it on record labels—like I love it and I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Mm. So I would say, yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: So you were on and off between like 12 and th- uh, 12 and 15. Yeah, you say
0: pretty much. It, it was. Uh, I used to play tennis like competitively oh, and. Okay. Yeah, that was like my um, career, so to speak. Like, that's like Mm -hmm. what I was going towards. And yeah, I slowly started making the shift towards music. It was getting to the point where like I would look so forward to finishing playing tennis just so I can go and make some music, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, eventually with talking with my parents and, you know, just myself, what I wanted to do personally, it all eventually transitioned to wanting to make music full time and Mm -hmm. give up. I still play tennis, but give up playing tennis at the level I was playing to focus more on music. Yeah, for sure.
1: That's a, it's a similar background to mine, uh, because yeah. I think I started when I was 13 or 14, but it was on and off for a few years because skateboarding took up like all of my life. But then it was like, yeah. I wanted to finish skateboarding so I could work on music or I'd stay in instead of going out with, with friends and skating. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, man. Uh, you sound like a quite a driven person then. I mean, you were like crushing it at tennis and then in a very short space of time, like uh, you've done very well as an artist. Why do you think that is? Like, because some people just I, take a long, long time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm blessed and fortunate enough, like uh, my manager played a big part in me coming up. So when I was still releasing tracks for free on my SoundCloud, when they were like practically I don't know. They were nothing special and it was mm. very amateur sounding. But I caught the eye of today, who is my manager, and he had a Vine page when Vine was still popular. And he posted one of my tracks and it did well. It got like, you know, 400,000 Vine loops or whatever. Oh, wow. And I reached out to him saying, you know, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And then from there on out, he kind of spoke. He found out I was only 15 at the time. So he was like, dude, you're going to be huge one day. Let's mm. work together. And he never actually, he wasn't a manager to begin with. He was just more of a social media guy. Okay. But we like both transitioned. He transitioned into being more of my manager. And then it, uh, our relationship just really was strong and it helped blow up. So like he was, he had connections within the industry already. Cause like big, big artists would hit him up like, Hey, can you do a promo campaign for me? And then he would. So he had like some um, artist connections already. So that really helped out when I would finish a track, we'd send it out and then we'd at least get, even if they didn't play it, the big guys were giving feedback at least. Mm. And that helped a lot. I'm very passionate about making sure my music sounds as professional as uh, I can possibly make it. and I'm very like uh, I'm very geeky when it comes to like mixdowns and like I really mm. want everything to be perfect sonically. Yeah, and yeah. obviously, musically. So, what I'm getting at is basically getting that feedback from those artists. You know, they would be like, oh, you know, the idea is great, but the mix down really needs work. And then I would just, you know, sit on YouTube, watch so many uh, tutorials on mixing from like Pensado's place and other places like that, just learning more, practicing more. And eventually, got to the point where, you know, I was getting better and better at mixing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from there on out, it was like my songs were getting better. Mm. And then my manager was still keeping up with his social media presence as well as getting more within the industry as a manager. And then we were able to make some connections with enhanced. That was my first like major ra- uh, label release. Mm. They released clips for me. And then uh, I also won the remix contest for Borges. Uh, so that was a big play. and in you were
1: it. you were sixteen.
0: Yeah, I was 16 wow. at the time. Maybe even 15, depending on where it landed. Because right, okay. my birthday being in summer, sometimes it's like it's a little bit odd. But mm-hmm. yeah, the Remix Contest uh, win really helped me a lot. It helped catch a lot of heads. I remember at the time, uh, Henry Fong gave some really cool feedback on my Remix, saying it was really catchy. And Ricky Piros tweeted me, saying that they liked it a lot. And at the time, like I was very small. like I had no big artist support. So this was so cool for me. And... It was getting really great traction on SoundCloud. Really was blowing up. And Borges was playing it at all of his shows, which is super sick to me. And then he asked me to do the remix for They Don't Know Us just as a free download. So I was like, yeah, we wanted." I winded up making something that we both were both really happy with. We decided to release that. And then Eclipse came along. So I think within that rapid succession of like me coming out of nowhere with these three Progressive House tracks. Hmm. And at the time, Progressive House was bigger than it was now. But yeah, yeah. no one was making it like I was. Not saying... What do you mean by that? Like, I just felt if people were making Progressive House, it was like super saws and a rolling baseline. yeah, yeah. And like kind of that Nikki Romero protocol style. And like, don't get me wrong. That's like one of my favorite styles of Progressive House. Yeah, Just so many people were doing it. it was and I felt like... Yeah. yeah. And it's cool if it's like... Because when it's overdone, it's just people start to sound like other people and the songs lose that character. Like if you listen to like a Nicki Romero track, like let's say uh, Harmony, I love that track. That melody is so catchy and the whole track has that vibe to it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when you have other people mimicking it and it doesn't have that catchy melody or it's uh, poorly mixed or something like that, it kind of just takes away from it. So even though my mixes, my mix downs were not, they weren't very good, but they were decent. And then the fact of it being like some energetic progressive house that was a little bit different with uh, unique melodies and all that with a unique character as well. I felt like that all really contributed towards like turning heads and people being like, who is this kid? Especially at the time I was 15, 16 years old. So then people were really like, oh, my God, because at the time, too martin garrix just blew up like he was yeah. crazy so me being young it was kind of like oh my god next martin garrix kind of a thing where <laughs> it was working out nice <laughs> it was cool but uh, yeah so i feel like just working on making my sound super professional and just getting the music mm. in the right hands and taking the opportunities too like there were a bunch of opportunities of songs that winded up never releasing that i would just take um just to kind of take everything in. Yeah. I, like you said before, I am very driven. I like, like working hard is like my passion. So Mm -hmm. it was, uh, is that, is that
1: something you think is natural or is that something you had to develop? Like you've got a natural work ethic that you got from maybe your parents or, or did you consciously decide I need to work hard? Like I need to do this.
0: You know what? It's a little bit of both. So Mm -hmm. like my parents are both very hardworking people and uh so naturally especially me like my dad was a professional tennis player and Uh he owns his own tennis club so like growing up obviously like i was all on tennis i was like striving to become a professional and i was doing well but so like i I did that but also i was a kid so like i was like pretty lazy wanting to play video games all the time like stuff like that too so when it came to music when it when i was uh first releasing It didn't really hit me like, oh, I need to work hard because it was still fun for me. But I was seeing like some sort of success. And uh, it was up until uh, once I started collabing with Borges and Breathe Carolina on Spin In. That's when I was like, all right, I really need to like make this part of my work. Mm. It was more towards because that was around. um, I actually dropped out of high school to pursue this full time. And that was, yeah, that was a big step but that was like the biggest realization where it was like okay i really need to focus and set up a, a work schedule and give this my 110 percent and i like watching a lot of like the motivational speakers uh they have like ted talks mm. all this stuff i'm always trying to learn uh obviously technical stuff with music but also like just general work ethic to make uh, yeah to better my success and all that good stuff
1: but sure. So, so who outside of the music space inspires you? Like, are there any public figures who, who like follow? Um,
0: yeah, I, uh, it's funny recently I've become like, uh, a, a little geeky. So I'm really into like science and stuff. And nice. I've been listening to like some science podcasts, like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's like really famous. And this other guy, Lawrence Cross, who's a, uh, mm. he's like a theoretical physician, but that's like, uh, it's like uh, how do I describe it it's it's cool to listen to because they're so smart and it's mm-hmm. like hearing their uh, perspective on sort of things it's like it's refreshing but for like motivation uh, I have two guys Tony Robbins and yeah. uh, Tim Ferriss are like my oh, two guys yeah, Tim they like, is so good yeah they're amazing and I they help me a lot with motivation and realizing certain things and like kind of putting things into perspective. Um,
1: yeah. And thinking differently.
0: Yeah, exactly. Especially with Tim Ferriss.
1: Like he forces you to think outside the box.
0: Yeah. He, he really like forces you to do something and think differently than everyone else to really set yourself apart, which I really like. And he helps develop, uh, he helped develop my own kind of way of thinking in a way, if that makes sense. Like I kind of have a better head on my shoulders after Mm listening and taking in all this advice. It's almost like a mentor. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know these guys personally, so it's not exactly like a mentor, but it definitely like I was a completely different person, you know, two years ago before I started getting into all this mentality wise. So, so how would,
1: how were you different? I'm curious,
0: you know, just being not, not as careless. Uh, I mean, the thing is too, is my age. So like when I was 16, I was more or less like an average 16 year old. I mean, Mm. yeah, I didn't always go to parties because I was more focused on like making music and I just was more of a homebody to begin with. But two years ago, like I was definitely not as positive. I was definitely not as hardworking Mm. and I just saw the world in a different light. You know, when you mature and then also with everything that I've been learning, I've just been getting a better understanding of you know, how life is, the way things work, and then also coming within the industry, like what to do in the industry, the things that you have to get done and, you know, working hard. So it's all like those small things that you just kind of get with uh, age, but also Mm. with all this knowledge that's out there.
1: For sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, How, when you were like 15, 16, actually I have two questions. When you were 15... 16-ish how many hours would you say you were working per day like on music
0: see that was actually a big reason on why i dropped out of high school because Mm -hmm. i would like i was very good in high school and i was in some of the like upper classes where it's like in science for example i was a year ahead in science Mm -hmm. so in my school it was like you took chemistry in 11th grade but i was taking it in 10th grade so like Because of where I was academically, it was stressful because I'd come home after a six hour, seven hour school day, do homework for like two, three hours. Mm. And then I would only have a couple of hours to make music before it was time to go to bed. And even if I wanted to produce late, my whole family, my brothers and sisters were trying to sleep. So it's not like I could blast music, you know. So when I was 15, 16, you know, I got to work on music maybe an hour, uh, an hour to three hours a day depending on what was going on. It was more the weekends where I really took advantage and, like, would produce all freaking day. Mm. But, uh, yeah, at that age, it was about one to three hours. Gotcha.
1: And what does your work schedule look like today?
0: Today, it varies between each day, only because there's some days where it's, like, there's nothing really going on, and I can kind of just be in the studio, brainstorm ideas, do something different. Mm. And then there's other days where it's, like, You have this lined up, this lined up. You have to put this on social media. You have um, an interview. You have to go and do this. You have to work on music. Or if you're you're bouncing between, like I am at the moment, (laughs) I'm bouncing between a couple different collaborations and working on finishing a single. So it's like, for this guy, I'm bouncing down all the stems, putting in a Dropbox. For this guy, I have to do my part and work on it. And it's like, yeah, but for the most part, it's like you wake up pretty early, around like 9 a.m., and then you just, I keep a checklist. So like every night before I go to bed, I have a checklist of things I have to go, I have to do the next day nice. and then yeah. I kind of wake up and then you start working on it. And, uh, Morgan Page actually inspired me. He put up a quote and it was something like, talk is cheap, get in the studio and make a song a day or something yes. like that. Yeah. I've seen yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And that really hit me. So I'm like, wow, he's right. Like yeah you know so even if you're not ma- I mean obviously you're not gonna make a full track in a day but it's getting those chords down that special something uh mm. making a cool drop you know something like that so I've been really doing that trying to make something cool every single day and so I'm going good it it's just about being inspired and you know for the days when you're uninspired I like to like watch some master classes or you know read about just geeky stuff like how mm. to master with you know, compressors and all that stuff. So pretty much my work day is like all that just about music. And, you know, there's some days where it's like some days I won't touch music at all and you'll just take the day off to relax. But pretty much that's the average day.
1: I see. I see. Uh, Before you talked about how, you know, you aim for perfection with with the mix and musically and so on and so on. Uh, I know that a lot of people struggle with this. They have this perfectionist mindset, which actually stops him from finishing music because they're never going to get it perfect. And so they abandon the project, they start a new one. How do you balance that? Do you not struggle with that at all? Like, do you find it easy to finish tracks? Um, Or has that become a problem, like that perfectionism?
0: Yeah, that was a major, major problem for me. And Mm. I guess what it came down to is like, I loved like, this is, I think this could be Love and Eclipse were the first two projects that I actually made that i was happy with so like i can go back i have all my old projects and it's like so frustrated i'd have a whole track finished laid out and i just would not want to touch it or release it because i didn't like it you know uh, yeah and you have to when you're making music there has to be a balance between uh, being your own critic but then also just simply enjoying the music that you're making so like with this could we love i remember when i first made it I was like, listening to it on headphones, like just in the car, and I was so happy with how it was coming out. Like It felt like a, a full track to me. It felt like so long, and I was proud of it. And then obviously there were some things that I wasn't so proud of, like the mix or whatever, but you have to kind of understand you're not going to one day just by the snap of fingers be as good as a mixer as like Axwell or yeah. something. It yeah. takes a lot of time to do that. You have to kind of really realize that you're going to do your best. You got to compare it to some other tracks. So like, even with this could be love, I, after I finished it and I thought it was finished, I compared it to some other tracks and sure it wasn't as good in certain aspects or maybe it was better comparing it to another track or whatever. But for the most part, it sounded like a pretty professional quality track to me. And I was really happy with that. So I think when regards to finding that boundary, it, it's tough like it's something that you're going to just figure out because there's some people that like i'll get a demo it's so funny i'll get a demo sometimes from a producer who will talk very highly of his track and i'll mm. listen to it and it's like uh man oh, you gotta day. like tone every it down day. a little
1: bit every time
0: yeah
1: <laughs> get emails but then like there's that.
0: some producer yeah then there's some producers that are be like oh man you know my track it's not mixed, it's not mastered this is that and i'll listen to it and it's so good mm. so it's like you kind of have to develop it your own. There's not like a set cookie cutter way. My thing, the thing that's helped me is literally comparing it to other tracks as a listener, as a fan of the music, sit back, listen to the true two tracks back to back. Mm -hmm. And as a fan, if you like both, then you're on the right path. So it was doing that, which really helped me. And then especially like nowadays, I'm really trying to crack down on Getting as good as possible, getting to that like triple A class mixdowns, like mm. Axwell, Hardwell, and it's super tough, especially because these guys have been doing it forever. But yeah, yeah. you know, I think your mixing just, is really good, though. Thank you, I really appreciate that. Yeah, there's been times where like uh, there's things like out of my control that I can't do. For example, with uh, with more than ever. the mix that is on like Spotify and YouTube I didn't really have a say in that Mm -hmm. there was some things with because we wanted to do more of a radio like the thing that was I wanted to do like a club festival kind of mix down which is that's just the music I like and they wanted to do more of like a radio style mix down and there was some confusion and there was this but at the end of the day we were pretty happy with how it came out and I was super happy like more than ever's one of the most um, emotional tracks that I've made and it really hits home with me. Mm-hmm. So I was cool with it. But things like that were out of my control. But, you know, I really am trying to get better and better every time. So I really appreciate that comment. But yeah, with, uh, I think, Where We Are and Armageddon are my two favorite mixed tracks, I think, mm-hmm. for now. I have some unreleased stuff, too, that's, like, way better than that, mix-down-wise. How but do you... Yeah, you have- Go
1: ahead. Sorry, Sorry. go ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, how do you approach mixing? Is it something you do as you go or at the end Do you have a system for it? I mean.
0: Yeah, when curious? I'm mixing, I what I do is I produce the whole entire track and I render the stems for each group. So like I oh. have a general understanding. So like I'll take notes when I'm listening to the track. There'll be times where like the track's just about finished. So I'll close my eyes and listen to the whole track, take the whole track in, then I'll listen to it again, and then actually take notes and say, okay, my rides are too loud, the kick needs more bass, whatever. And then I render all the stems, and then you bring it into a brand new project. The reason I do this is because visually you can see if there's any hiccups in the waveforms yes. or yeah. if there's anything odd going on. And then you can also see, I mean, doing by waveforms, you also... Because there's no generator VSTs with all these, uh, you know, sounds going on, your project runs a lot cleaner, and you can hear all the audio just fine. I have a monster PC, but like when I have a full project with like a hundred instances of like Spire, and Silent, things oh, get yeah. pretty hectic, yeah. you know. <laughs> so when I render the stems for the mix sound, it's about going back to that list of sh- uh, stuff that I had to do and cracking down. Uh, compressing, you know, if the bass is too wild, compressing the bass a little bit and doing those small things. And then once I'm happy with my list on what it is, then I'll bring bring in some reference tracks and then listen back and then see like, oh, well, you know, Hardwell has so much less white noise. I'm using way too much. Mm -hmm. So maybe I should tone it down a bit. And stuff like that is uh, how I mix my tracks for the most part. I actually have a... Uh, tutorial on my YouTube channel that I just posted covering how I mixed where we are so if anyone mm. listening to this hasn't checked it out yet I uh, I didn't actually cover how I mixed it I basically I mean no I did I mean I went through each channel on my uh, mix down and discuss on what I did to process it because when you're mixing yeah. you make decisions and I, I couldn't really recite why I made those decisions it was more hey uh, you know I did this, this, this on my kick.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll link that up in the show notes. I've actually seen it and I thought it was really helpful. So,
0: Oh, awesome. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Um, what motivates you?
0: Uh, family and like, it's mostly family. So okay. like I'm super inspired to When it comes to, like, my overall goals, it's all family. Like, I want to do what's best for my family. I have a girlfriend that I'm super close with and, like, for our future. Yeah, I really uh, have, like, so much goals for our future. And, Mm. you know, I have to be successful to achieve those goals. But that's, like, for general life motivation. But for, like, personal, like, making a song, like, that sort of motivation, it's – uh. It's like my idols that I look up to, man. Uh, Listening to some really cool music, you know, you get that feeling when you listen to a track sometimes and you're like, how the hell did they make that? And Mm -hmm. there's just so much energy and it's clean and it's this. That's my motivation. I want to make tracks that people are going to be like, this is such a sick track. Like, I can listen to this three years from now and still love it. That's my personal motivation when it comes to, like, producing.
1: I like that. Um, So got a bunch of other questions about production but i want to talk about the track that's coming out on enhanced with uh, envy monroe is it
0: yes Called yes.
1: discover love tell us a bit about that how did it come about
0: so i got the demo from envy monroe and i immediately loved the vocal i liked i loved it a lot because it was unique i feel like uh a lot of vocals Within the EDM industry, like there's some really, really special ones. And then there's some others that are kind of cookie cutter. And I've been dealing with that a lot lately, like trying to find vocal demos and then they're being a little too cookie cutter for my liking. I like all my tracks to have like uh, a specific vibe to it, a specific character. So like I like when you can put on a track and be like, oh, that's more than ever. That's Armageddon. So that's what I was going for. So when I heard this vocal, I was like, wow, it already has such an amazing vibe to it. And the demo I got was actually quite different from the track. The track, uh, the demo was like more happy. Mm -hmm. And at first I made like a happy sort of sounding demo. And I wasn't in love with it. So I made another one, made another one, made another one. I went through like four to five demos before I got to what I was happy with. And uh, I realized the happiness is what was throwing me off about it. So I wound up going darker with the record, making something A little more not scary but just more emotional more dark and Mm. it it all came to me like that and I finished up the record super quick and I did have some trouble with the mixing and mastering this one was a pain in the butt just because of all the elements going on and it was it's a bit different from what I usually do as well so I was struggling with some mixing but eventually got it to the point where I was happy and then I sent it over to Enhanced they loved it and we decided they decided to sign it, which was really cool.
1: That's fantastic! That's so awesome. And when does it come out, or can you not say that?
0: Uh, it comes out April fourteenth, so 14th? this Friday.
1: Oh, sick! Awesome. I'll link that up too uh, in the show notes. Awesome. How how do you usually start a track? Do you start with a melody, a preset, or does it change every time?
0: It changes every time because there's sometimes where like. Uh, Sometimes you'll just hear a cool track and you'll go in the studio and try to make something similar to it. Mm-hmm. And then there's other times when you're really serious and you're like, okay, I want to make the next Rios track or something. So in that case I'll import a vocal that is like because usually I have a good understanding of like what keys are um, like what vibe is like each key in a way. So like what I mean is like C minor, in my opinion is more it could be very epic when it comes to progressive house. A minor is more emotional. F minor is uh, more happy, but not really. And Mm -hmm. then like F sharp's happy. So like all these things, like I know, so I'll find a vocal. If I want to make an emotional track, I'll find a vocal around A minor, I'll import it. And then I'll start with some chords. Yeah, I try, especially lately, I've been trying to make stuff that's a little bit out of the box, trying to bring a unique twist to progressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's always something I've been trying to do but i'm trying to like you know write cool chords write those legendary chords cuz yeah. you never know if you're going to make that track you know so i'll sit there and i'll try to write cool chords and then if i find if i make good chords then i'll start writing a drop right away mm. only because in my opinion like for me personally the drops are what makes a record in this industry like you can oh, have 100% yeah, you can have an amazing breakdown, but if your drop isn't good, it's not gonna. The record's not gonna be that good. So, I personally will try to go to the drop with those chords, and then try to try to build off that. And sometimes it can com- completely take like a uh, like a one eighty turn, and it can turn into something completely different. Mm. But that's the beauty of it, because you're in, you get this momentum going, and then you just start yeah. going at it. Sometimes I'll hit. I'll go in the studio and just um, like I'll listen to a track that I really like at the moment. And let's say I only like like their drums. Like I'll just sit there and like just program drums in the drop, just because things like that. You know, people think, oh, I'm gonna make a drop. Let me start looking for like drop leads, and that's 100% how I work almost all the time. But I like also taking uh, a step back and doing some of the smaller details first. That way when you find that drop lead or when you make it or whatever you have the drop already completely laid out, you know? So it varies, honestly, it just depends on what track I'm making. Mm. And if I have a vocal, if I don't have a vocal, what type of mood I'm in, all that different stuff.
1: I like what you said about trying to use more unique chords. Cause I think this goes for all genres. Um, but you hear like the same chord progression again and again, like the one four five or the one four six five. And it's just like, come on. Um, there's a track by Weird Halberg on the podcast. Um, not sure if you've heard of him on Moxie Cat. Yeah. Yeah. But he, here's a song. I think it's the girl, but that has interesting chords. And I heard that and I was like, this is good progressive house. Like this is a song that, uh, stands out, you know, um, do you know music theory like do you know any music theory at all is it just you do it all by yeah
0: no yeah I actually I was actually pretty bad at ear by doing it by ear I tend to make stuff like earlier on I tend to make stuff that was like out of key and all that Mm. bad stuff so (laughs) I had a a friend of mine one day tell me like dude your stuff is way out of key yeah and I didn't didn't know because I was still like just starting to produce but ever since then I uh, really strapped down on music theory so yeah I can't play the piano physically but I do know uh, music theory pretty well like I know like some inversions and Mm. what chords work well together and all that good stuff.
1: And you think it's important for producers to learn that because the fact is most of them don't.
0: I in my opinion I think absolutely because Mm. me knowing music theory makes making chords and making melodies that much easier. I remember struggling to make a cool melody because it's, it's almost like, um, like a, like a cheat sheet, having knowing the music theory, knowing which keys work well together, because then you can already kind of have a head start when you're making a melody instead of sitting there and, you know, trying these different things that a a person that knew music theory would know doesn't work, you know? So I think it's important and it's really not hard. Like you don't have to be Beethoven to understand music theory, there's mm. just simple music theory that you can learn on the internet. There's like, uh, I'm trying to think. I watched, uh, I think his name is Busy Works Beats on YouTube, oh, and yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah, it's just a simple music theory video. And he came up with, uh, he spoke about this formula uh, when you're making chords, just one three seven formula or one four seven when it comes to uh, majors and minors. Mm. And that helped figuring out like, okay, this chord, this chord, whatever. And then also knowing just small stuff like scales. So if you're working in G minor, then you know the notes are G, A, A sharp, C, etc., and all that. So knowing simple stuff like that would really help your workflow. And it's something I think is necessary to make uh, music. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I heard one person say it was like,
1: you know, you can write a book without knowing grammar, but it's not going to turn out that well and it will be hard to read and so on and so on and you won't be able to structure it well. But if you know grammar, like, it's a lot easier. And I think it's the same with music. Like, I've heard amazing music from people who don't know any theory, but often they've been producing for, like, 25 years. Um,
0: Yeah, I know know somebody who... um, I know somebody who makes way cooler, way more intricate chords and melodies than I do, but he has no idea what music theory is. If I'm like, hey man, recite the D minor scale, he couldn't do that. Yeah. But yeah. like he's been producing for so so long, like 10 plus years. Right. And he just know what works well. So in that case, that's obviously like there's no real point. But I'm more talking about for upcoming producers that for don't sure. have the um that level of experience yet. It just makes life so much easier knowing a little bit of music theory.
1: And I think it makes you more creative. Like if you look at, uh, what's that guy's name? Haywire? Yeah. Oh, he's phenomenal. But like if if you're working on a track and you're like, I need to, I want to create something here where like the, the track takes sort of a dark twist and I'm not sure how to do that. Um, it's like if you know music theory, you'd know that you could use certain chords or like even switch keys or introduce notes from another key, so on and so on to like create that tension. Uh, and if you don't know that it's going to be really hard like you're basically just using trial and error which is fine but it takes like a long long time uh, to figure it out
0: yeah exactly
1: (laughs) what are some of the talking about new producers what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see new producers today making
0: uh there's a couple main ones i think sending your music like rushing to getting it onto a big label mm. is something that like it, it's almost like people might want to be like the next Martin Garrix where they, they think they have a track they want to get signed and then it's like boom I'm famous but there's a lot more that goes on to that and I think sitting in the studio making a couple tracks but not really releasing them you you start to develop this professional sound there's guys that come out of nowhere and their tracks are already professional but they've been producing for like three four years already but you don't know that because you just heard of them you know Mm -hmm. so my advice would be to work on your sound and make it a little bit more professional before showing your showing the world what you got because like when you produce for a while and then you you have like this experience so that when people see this unknown guy and he's making this phenomenal track they're like it's going to catch their attention that much more. If you only have 10 followers, you don't want to have a track that sounds like you only have 10 followers. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like another thing, big thing is, is producers want to sound like their favorite guys. And that's totally cool. Like, don't get me wrong. Getting inspiration from the big guys is like, that's like where it's at. I love doing that. But you, there's just this balance. You have to draw this line on how much you can draw inspiration from a track because, there's producers where like I'll listen to it like uh, in my promo mailbox, and it's nothing new. It's nothing innovative. And there's there's a line with that too because there's people that um, think being creative is so hard. It it it's really not. Like there's mm. I'm not asking you to make the next tsunami or the next um, reload or something, but if you just know where that boundary is about how every track should have its own characteristic it should have its own personality i like to say so like you your track could have a sub kick in it like who cares you know but do something cool use a sound that you know wouldn't traditionally be used or like Mm. make a make a different melody maybe use like a lot of portamento notes or a lot of legato notes or something uh just to spice it up and just to give your track that unique character like um, my biggest thing is like if you go to your promo mailbox and if you you can find whatever track if you listen to it you can be like oh he was clearly inspired by Kashmir like this sounds like mm. secrets or something you know and it's about just finding that that uh, balance of drawing inspiration from big people but also creating your own sound and um, giving your track its own unique characteristic and personality
1: you know what I love I love hearing a song from like a well-known producer and you can hear multiple influences you're like oh he got that from this track and like yeah. this one from yep. another track and it's like awesome like they do that as well The the big yeah guys. exactly um, I, I do that yeah. all the time yeah it's it's like why not it's there's a great quote from uh David Bowie and it's like the only art I'll ever study is stuff I can steal from
0: <laughs> yeah which is it's cool. brilliant.
1: um one thing just adding on to that, I would say, you know, you talked about just adding in different sounds and like trying new things to the producers listening to this. Don't be afraid because, um, often people will like shy away from doing that because they feel like, I don't know, like they'll get negative feedback and so on and so on. Um, even if like, if you think it sounds cool, like, and you release it, it might flop. Like, <laughs> it might. Um, but how do you think people innovate? Like Skrillex didn't just go, "Oh, this is a little bit too, like this is a little bit too unique or a little bit too new. I don't think people will like it. I'll just keep it on my computer," you know? Um, yeah, exactly. So take a risk. I think.
0: Yeah, and just butting on to what you were saying there, like with with releasing stuff or making stuff that sounds super um, like different. I remember too. Being told by, you know, in interviews and all that, when I was just an upcoming producer, like, really with no real grasp on what I wanted to make at the time, mm. you know, a lot of people are like, oh, find your own sound, do this, do that. And it's like, it's like, do I really have to, like, make my own genre? Like, it's kind of overwhelming. Yeah, yeah true. But, but you, you, you don't have to. Like, you don't have to make the next bro step or the yeah. next bass house or something like that. Like, guys like Jaws, who made, um, uh, what was the track feel the volume like that track completely innovated bass house. And it's like, you don't have to do that. Like, obviously if you do like thumbs up to you, like that's incredible. Mm. Good for you. But for producers that felt like me, like I felt like almost scared and pressured, like, Oh my God, I have to make my own genre just to make it like that seems obscene. And you, you really don't have to, you just have to find your own little, um, crevice, if you will. Like, for example, um, guys like my friend reggio who i'm not sure if you know but he makes what he calls dark progressive and it's just progressive house uh but it's like his own little niche of it and he's got this sick sound and he's doing really well for himself and it's it's not like he made a new genre i mean he calls it dark progressive but it's it's just doing something that you love find something that you love and then just make like a variation of it instead of feeling pressured to make a whole new genre you know yeah
1: yeah i also feel like i'm not sure if this is true i'm speculating but the whole first mover thing and like making a new genre isn't was overrated because if you look at say technology companies a lot of people just assume that if you're first to the market like if you come up with an app or software and like you're the first in that space that you'll do the best but that's actually not true like normally the second or third company that comes along, copies the idea, improves it, uh, does the best. So you look at like MySpace and Facebook. MySpace is kind of one of the first social media platforms of its kind. And then Facebook comes along and just completely destroys MySpace. And I wonder if that happens in the, the music industry too. Like someone comes up with a new genre, but they don't quite have the traction. And then someone else comes along, hears that music and goes, oh, I can do something with this. They do. And they improve on it. Um, Like, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but like, it's it's interesting to think about.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it's happened before because it's not, um, it seems like plausible for that to happen. I think if if you're a producer and you hear, like, for example, like my friend Reggio, he's still an upcomer. He's got some big releases, but, you know, for the most part, he's still an upcomer. So if you Mm. hear his track and you're like, hey, like this dark progressive, like I have my own idea that I could run with, maybe you will. Run with his idea of the whole dark progressive thing and yeah. you'll become the next you'll have your own little subgenre, or whatever that's cool that's like just drawing inspiration from music you like and i think that's what's important because at the end of the day you have to like the music you're making if you don't like it then what's the point you know what i mean 100
1: mm-hmm. uh talking about mistakes again what are some of the sm- uh, mistakes that you made you know over the past few years
0: um In regards to music production, my biggest mistake was probably thinking that you need so many layers uh, Uh, of like synths and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, that was like my biggest thing. And then also thinking, you know, you need all this white noise and all these different things just to give the track energy. Uh, One of the collabs I recently just finished, actually, last night super simplistic only like three or four layers uh of leads Mm -hmm. but the drop is like probably the cleanest and fattest drop that i've ever made so far so it's like just you don't need that many layers and hey like if you need a lot of layers go for it because there's people like dub vision who i think their music is phenomenal and they apparently use a lot of layers i attended a master class of theirs one time and they use a lot of layers and that's Mm -hmm. great because you know they're amazing but just don't they may they have a lot of layers because they know why they need a lot of layers Yeah, are yeah yeah don't just add on stuff because you think it's going to automatically um link up to a big sound like oh if because I have a you lot see, of sounds it's the other
1: producers do it
0: exactly you just you have to trust your own ear and you have to do what each track calls for mm. even this could be love the drop leads are only like two layers mm. it's not it's not a lot you know uh, but then there's other tracks where like I completely overdid it for no reason. If like you go back into the project, you can mute like eight sounds and you won't even notice they're gone because it's just yeah. unnecessary. So that's like my biggest mistake within the production, uh, the production aspect. And then as far as like my career, I think my biggest mistake would be rushing to get music out and not really planning it out and thinking ahead because there's times where like. I'll rush and be like, oh my God, I finished a track. I want to get it out so bad. And then it goes out, but then I don't have another track to follow up with it. And then my release schedule becomes inconsistent. And I think for someone wanting to make a big impact, or if they want to do uh, music full time and become their own artist and stuff, it is super, super, super important to have a release schedule because Mm. you want to constantly be giving music to the fans. You want to constantly be reminding people like, Hey, I exist. I'm putting out music and I'm consistent because You don't want to become like a one hit wonder kind of thing where you have one big track and then it's like six months before anyone hears from you again, you know? And it's one thing if you're like going through like a rebrand phase or if you're like really just discovering your own sound, that's fine. But as far as me, like I had an idea of what I wanted to do and I found that was a big mistake by, uh, rushing to get my music out there and not really thinking ahead.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, Zane, it's been a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Before you go, do you have any last words of advice for the listeners? Uh,
0: Yeah, my advice would be to stay positive, work hard, and if you really want to make a, um, if you want to make it in this industry or become a big producer, it's not rocket science. I swear to you, I never thought in a million years the things that I've done would have been possible. I'm just your average guy. So, you don't need to be special you don't need to be born with some magical gift like if you work hard if you're positive if you're persistent anything's possible love it